0: So if I could wave a magic wand, I would hand that wand to the hands of the the foster youth and let them have a voice in what's actually happening to them. Let them know their options early, empower them to make decisions before they hit the age of 18. And I think that we would see much better outcomes on the other side of it. I think that we would see kids feeling like they had more of more time to make decisions more time to understand what their options were and i think that they would make better choices Um, i think we just don't don't give them the time and the options and we kind of just throw adulthood at them and that's that's not working it's not working
1: All right, grab your cup of coffee, your cup of tea, and settle down for another episode of the Mosaic Foster Parents Cafe. At the Mosaic Foster Parents Cafe, we know that one caring adult can really change life for a vulnerable child. That's why foster parents are one of the most critical components of the foster care system. Foster parents open their homes and their hearts and provide hope and love to children who need it the most. They are the guides that every superhero needs in order to be great. That's why foster parents need better support and more exceptional resources. For far too long, foster parents have been made to feel like extras in a movie, when in reality, they're more like the co-stars. Here at the Mosaic Foster Parents Cafe, this is where those guides come to meet and become better informed, better prepared, and more encouraged to continue to serve on the front lines of the child welfare system. I am your host, Tykeen Morgan, I spent eight years of my life navigating the foster care system as a child, and that experience really inspired me to become a change maker on behalf of vulnerable children, as well as an advocate for foster parents. Through this podcast, I hope to inspire the next generation of foster parents and foster children to be great. In fact, at Mosaic, our mission is to inspire and nurture the spirit of serving children and families. One foster parent, one episode and one community at a time. Welcome to the show. Today, we have a very, very, very special guest with us, a bonafide fide sensation, a bona fide TikTok sensation, a superstar in her own right. And I am not <laughs> exaggerating. Uh, our guest today, Brittany Bertram, has been featured in Fox News She's been featured on Good Morning America. She's been featured on all types of news outlets and has gotten a lot of well-earned credit for the amazing work that she is doing because she is an innovator in the child welfare space. And she's gone above and beyond the call of serving vulnerable children. And she has advocated on a level and on a platform that, um, that is very, very honorable, very exceptional Uh, Without further ado, please help me welcome Brittany Bertram to the show, please.
0: Thank you so much. How are you doing, Brittany? I'm great.
1: It's so wonderful to have you on the show. Uh, When I first got the call from uh, the reporter from Good Morning America, and the reporter told me that there was a woman somewhere that had amassed 700,000 followers on a tiktok channel with one message and the only message was foster the teens i said you have got to be kidding me! I was like, no way. Let, I've got to meet this woman. So they say, you know, do you have a? We, you know, you've been doing work with foster care. You were a teen when you came in. Would you mind commenting? I was like, yes, I don't mind commenting on this. Who is this woman? I need to know her. So, <laughs> so I was thoroughly fascinated from the beginning. I, I ran over to your TikTok page and. I was like, it really is all about fostering teens and it's detailed and it's, it's so good. I was so impressed. So man, thank you so much for the work that you're doing, Brittany.
0: Thank you so much. Yeah, it is, it's just as surprising to me that people, because I, I really, you know, you start with a one idea and one goal and you think no one's really going to be interested in this. And I, I am so happy that I was pleasantly surprised by the, the fact that I was wrong.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, there are so many bad news stories that come out of the child welfare space. The good news stories often get overlooked. But what your efforts and what your TikTok channel shows is that people will support positive stories. They will support a positive perspective. And you just got to take, you know, be brave and go out there and tell a positive story. And that's what you've done. So thank you so much so this is a cafe this is the mosaic foster parents cafe and in perfect cafe style we like to start off our show with a cafe cup check um you know our guests often like to sip something in the the cafe style i like to sip you know i like coffee i like tea i've been more of a tea drinker lately so i like to know uh when you walk into the cafe what is your typical order And then today, what are you sipping on?
0: I am a true Southern woman. So iced tea is my go-to drink always. And um, it is exactly what I'm drinking today. I took a little walk over to Panera and got my iced tea. So I, I am a big fan of iced tea with just a little bit of sweetener in it you
1: know, uh, a little bit of sweetener. I heard the Southern <laughs> style is a lot of sweetener.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. It's supposed to be a lot, but I've, I'm trying to, to reduce the the amount of sugar because otherwise it just comes out as a solid and it's not really a liquid anymore. Yeah, too much
1: <laughs> sugar. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Well, for my cup check, I am drinking a Bigelow mint medley herb, herb tea. Uh, and this is one of my go-to. This is one of my favorites. Um, it's a blend of cool garden spearmint and peppermint, caffeine-free and all natural. Uh, and it is very, very tasty. One of the things I like about this tea so much is the flavor is, is very rich, very rich flavor. Um, so this is one of my go-tos. So thank you so much for uh, that cup check. Uh, I'll, have to, I'll have to get into the sweet teas. You know, I think I used to drink a lot of uh, Arizona iced tea yeah. when I was a kid on the way to school. But since I've been getting getting into my older years, I've been uh, settling down to hot tea a lot more. For some I reason, it. uh, it's I do just like warm well. here
0: in the south. It's really hot here, and so we tend to to like our iced tea more than our hot tea <laughs> most oh, of the I time, just you. because it's so hot. But
1: I feel you. I feel you. It makes perfect sense. Um, okay, well, thank you so much for that. The next section of our show is our icebreaker round. This is uh, we like to kind of ease into our interview with you and just have a little bit of fun and get to know the kind of the fun, lighthearted kid side of you, if you don't mind.
0: (laughs) Let's do it.
1: So you are one of five of our heroes of foster care. That was the reason that I reached out to you. I was interested in telling some good news stories around the foster care space. Because, uh, you know, I had the opportunity to work in the space for about a year and a half to two years. And while I was doing that, one of the things I noticed is that the bad news stories rise to the top and the good news stories just go kind of un. Uh, unmentioned. And I, I thought that that was unfair to the children that we serve, that we don't tell enough of their good news stories. And, and they know they're having some good interactions and some good um, situations, but you know those, those voices don't get amplified enough. And so I wanted, as I'm looking to reimagine foster care, I wanted to raise up those good news stories and really give flowers and give praise and honor to individuals that I came across that were doing exceptional work. And honestly, the story about you came across my desk at the time when I was putting together this Heroes of Foster Care series. And so I was like, oh, this is definitely perfect. The universe has been aligning for me that way. So I'm, I'm very thankful for that. Um, so thank you for being a hero to so many uh, vulnerable youth and, and families. I noticed that your most recent um, work has been around honoring bio families and kind of raising up that aspect of uh, child welfare. And that's so important. So thank you for that. But before we get into that, what is your favorite superhero or comic book character?
0: Um, despite the fact that I am currently wearing a Wonder Woman t-shirt, I will say that my favorite is uh, Superman. I, I love that uh, Superman was raised by foster parents and um, that he had this kind of mission to do what was right and to take care of others. And I just always felt like I understood and related. And um, I loved that he used his gifts for good.
1: <laughs> All right. Yes. We got to give a round of applause for Superman. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. If, if you could be granted one superpower, what superpower would you choose and why?
0: You know, I'd like to think like, oh, reading minds would be really cool. But then I think I would just, that would be really too much information. And uh, getting inside people's heads might be a little too scary. But I am a huge fan of travel. I love traveling. I am constantly planning my next trip. So flying would be a wonderful superhero or superpower to have so I can get where I'm going a lot faster.
1: Hey, listen, the power of flight, man, I tell you what, that is uh, that is a super super power to have, to possess for sure. That's yeah. awesome. Okay, um so my next question is what's the story behind how you got involved in child welfare?
0: Yeah. So, my story actually starts with a Google search. I Googled how do you help kids in foster care without being a foster parent? Because at the time I was living in the DC area, I was living in this tiny studio apartment. I knew I couldn't possibly house a child. Um, and so I just wanted to know, how can I how can I support this, this population? Because it, I'd always really cared about them. I'd always been interested in foster care. And I came across the opportunity to be a court-appointed special advocate, also known as a CASA. Um, and these are volunteers that uh, are assigned a child in foster care to advocate for in court. And I was assigned a 13-year-old girl When I was with her case for about three years, advocating for her in court and seeing her every week and connecting with her and, and her foster family and her biological family, and really got a glimpse of the system overall, the things that were working, the things that weren't working, the frustrating parts, and felt like I was making a difference as a CASA. So then when I moved home to Alabama, I knew I wanted to kind of take that a step further, So I got a bigger place, got an extra bedroom and signed up for foster care classes because I said, you know, I'd, I'd like to continue doing this, but on even bigger scale. So became licensed in October of 2019. And I signed up as a short-term emergency foster parent simply because I traveled for work and I'm single. So, you know, couldn't just leave a child at the house when I had to travel for work. So I thought for a little while, I'll do emergency and short term. And that has become kind of an amazing opportunity for me to to serve the kids in foster care in my community as an foster parent. Um, and I've done that since October of 2019. And I've had uh, between 40 and 50 kids in that time period that have come to stay with me anywhere from one night to up to two months is my longest placement. So it's, it's been quite the journey, but I have, I am so thankful that I had the opportunity as a CASA. I learned so much about the system and trauma and then am able to put that into practice as a foster parent.
1: That is amazing. You know, what's so amazing about your story is that you are an example of someone that was committed to the cause and you found ways to incorporate the cause into your life. You didn't let the one barrier or the other change in your life you know, kind of make you turn away and and go focus on something else. You, 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 you know, you struggle beyond that and say, okay, well, how can I make this fit into this new reality I have in my life? And I want to say, thank you for that. That is exactly what vulnerable children need. That's what, what families that are struggling need. They need folks that are going to work with them and going to make the adjustments and be there for them for the long haul. And you've definitely proven that you have that commitment. So thank you so much for doing that. So what I want to ask you now, just to conclude our uh, icebreaker section is if you so if you think about your passion and your commitment and how you how committed you are to vulnerable children, to the foster care space. And if you had to describe your passion as a superpower, how would you describe it? What like what's your superpower?
0: I mean, if. If it came down to one word, I would have to say that the word connection probably best describes my superpower. I love um, making connections with the kids that come through my door. I love making connections to other foster parents and looking for ways to support them. And through TikTok, I love connecting with other people who might one day be interested in playing a role in this journey. And, you know, I think it also involves connecting um, the youth that are in my home to resources. I take care of teenagers and a lot of them don't know all the resources that are at their fingertips and the rights that they have and the ways that they can have their voice heard. So being able to make those connections between people, between resources, that, that is one area that, I, I feel I'm really good at, and I try my best to use my superpower, but that's kind of how I would describe it as just being that connector, um, to help, to help people who don't, who don't know what to do. You know, how can I help? Well, I can connect you to ways you can help.
1: (laughs) The power of connection. Okay. I'm seeing a comic book. I'm seeing a comic (laughs) book being written right before my eyes. All right. So that's your secret sauce. Your secret sauce is connection. That's, that's awesome. That's fantastic. Okay, well, that concludes our icebreaker section. And uh, we got so much information out of just that one short section. I want to know what about your life inspired you to take this path, to, to commit to the child welfare space and to make a commitment to teenagers in particular? Was there something in your own life that, that kind of pushed you in this direction?
0: I mean, I think, you know, I remember reading a book series when I was a kid and there was a child in foster care. And I think that was my first exposure ever to the fact that that kids there were kids out there that didn't live with their families. And as I got older and started kind of seeing how difficult I mean, especially, I mean, I went away to college in another, remember how difficult it was to be in a a different state without support. I mean, even though I had my parents' support, to think of being in that spot without any support and not having a family, you know, right there for you, how difficult that must be. And so I think a lot of it just came from my desire to mother Um, not necessarily being a mother, but to mother and care for children who maybe weren't mine. I babysat a lot of kids and I found that, man, I, I really loved these kids, even though they weren't mine. And I thought I would love to be able to show that kind of love and care, even if these kids aren't mine or aren't with me forever. And that kind of drive that drive to love, a child knowing that they may not be with me forever knowing that they're going through a lot of tumultuous time and a lot of change and have lost a lot of their power um to be able to feel like you can be some kind of anchor you can be some kind of shift that's not moving in the waves, even ever so briefly was just a passion point of mine and especially once I was at CASA And able to see how frustrating this system was from a teenager's point of view, how very little say they had in what happened to them, and how frustrating it was that they got bounced around and and things happened that were, were not their doing. And feeling that this system is not built for humans, it was built for processes, and I wanted to care about the humans. I wanted to love the humans. And I wish, you know, that 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 had been more of a focus throughout all of my cases. But that's really what lit the fire in me was, I mean, frustration and saying, okay, I I can, you know, kind of push for things to change or I can be part of the change. Um, And I'm just never one to just, sit by and and let things happen i'm i get antsy i don't ever like sitting still so i decided to to do something about it and how could i possibly you know influence a system that i wasn't actively participating in changing so
1: that is amazing
0: roundabout answer but (laughs)
1: that is amazing that is that is so amazing and uh so inspirational as well why tiktok like why did you choose tiktok
0: Well, the thing is, I didn't even really choose it. I because I do teenagers. A lot of my teens were into TikToks. They were doing their TikTok dances, and we were waiting for dinner or in the grocery store, and I. I didn't know anything about the app other than... Well, my listeners, uh, Brittany just did a
1: TikTok it. dance real quick with her hands real fast. <laughs> right? She's She's pretty good at it, it looks like. <laughs>
0: no. no one wants to see me dance on TikTok. But um, I actually had one of my, my teens that said, you know, we were talking about TikTok and I was like, TikTok, I don't understand. I don't even know how that thing works. And she said you, you should be on TikTok. And I said, no, no one wants to see me. on I don't dance. And she said, no, there, there are a lot of foster parents on on TikTok, but they all foster like babies and little kids. So she said, you should get on TikTok and talk about teenagers and like how to foster teens because, you know, you, you're one of the good ones. And so you should tell other people how to do it. And I thought, I don't think anybody's gonna watch that. And I don't even know how to use it. She goes, I'll show you how to use it. And so she, you know, she got me on there. And I was learning how to make the videos work. And my first few ones were, you know, great and took hours and hours and hours because I didn't know what I was doing. And then I just, I just used it as I thought it would mostly be foster parents that watched who else is going to listen or, you know, watch things about foster care. I thought it would be a bunch of foster parents. And within a couple of weeks, I managed to post uh, a video that ended up going viral about uh, adopting from foster care and uh, the importance of adopting older children. And somehow that just blew up and so I started talking more about what I do and examples and what the first night looks like with a foster child. And it just continued to grow and grow and grow. And it wasn't just foster parents, It was teenagers because they're the ones on the app, and it was teenagers that said, "I didn't know how this worked or I want to be a foster parent one day too." Or I ended up with youth who were like, "I'm in foster care right now, and this this is great. And this is, you know, I didn't know, there were foster parents that did this. And so it became more of a a mission to educate and inspire people to foster teenagers. But it was not the medium that I would have chose. I, I wasn't even on TikTok. It truly came from my kid, you know, telling me, you should get on there and talk about fostering teenagers. Everybody else is talking about babies. Somebody needs to talk about fostering teenagers. And so that's where the idea came from, was just wanting to see somebody on there that was taking care of kids,
1: their own age. Wow. So that is so amazing. So it was completely organic. Yeah. So it you got not on something TikTok I ever and became <laughs> a TikTok sensation because your foster teens told you you're doing a great job and you should tell other people how to do what you're doing. That
0: was it. That was wow, it.
1: Wow. That is amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. What an amazing story. Yeah. And so how long have you been on TikTok?
0: Um, I got on uh, in, at the, in like mid-March of this year. So I have not been on very long. <laughs> um, so it's still, it's still new to me, but it's, it's crazy how fast it's, it's changed in about six months.
1: <laughs> and where and where's your uh where are your numbers at now I don't not to get into the numbers
0: <laughs> I think I'm I think I'm at like 912,000 so wow. I'm, I'm on my way to a million and how, on my way so to how, a million.
1: how long ago was that that I uh commented on the story that it was only like maybe a month ago
0: yeah it was about wow. a month ago this yeah. thing is growing
1: pretty fast huh it's
0: crazy. It blows my mind every day that there are more people interested in what I'm talking about. But I think it's just, and honestly, I think it's because, and you know this. There's a lot of foster care that feels hidden. Oh, right? absolutely. Oh, because there is a privacy aspect to it. There yes. is, and and that's one thing I've told everyone. Keeps asking, when are you going to have your kids on your TikTok? And my answer is never. You're never going to see a child of mine on my TikTok. They're not going to do a dance with me. They're not going to do a talk with me. It's not going to happen because their privacy is so important to me. But because of that privacy, we have made foster care secretive rather than than privacy focused. It's secret focused, it feels like. And so we don't talk often about what what are the real parts of, of foster care, the good and the bad? And what what does it look like as a foster parent? You, you don't know. And so it's that unknown that scares a lot of people. Um, so by kind of putting some light on that, by showing what it actually is, it doesn't seem as scary because you start to realize, okay, these are just regular people doing this. These aren't you know psychologists these aren't social workers these aren't i don't have any experience in child behavioral health but for some reason you know that it becomes more understanding that, oh okay these are regular people doing this and i could probably do this too oh wait she's a single woman that lives in an apartment and rents and she still fosters i didn't even exactly. know that was a thing so i exactly. think if we take the the secrecy off of some of foster care and if we're honest about some of The bad parts, as well as being honest about the really beautiful parts. You know, you mentioned I I talk a lot about supporting biological families, and it's true. You know, we talk a lot about kids who are adopted from foster care, but we don't often talk about kids who are reunified with their parents. And so I I try to focus on those stories too. That there are parents out there who are are working really hard and are you know trying to to work through what they need to work through to be with their children and foster parents we love those stories and we we need to see more of those stories um yes foster care to adoption is beautiful too but i think that we need to shine a light on on the other side too and and bring things that may have previously been secret into the light
1: kudos to you for uh being so brave and really just being so passionate about um you know about this topic. Uh, I, I think it's refreshing, and I think it is so important, and I think it's critical to reimagining foster care because um, I do believe that there is a lot of connotation. There's a lot of old news that people think is still relevant, right? Like in terms of the danger or you know the cases of of maltreatment and all this other stuff. People hold on to stories that are ten years old, right? And it's right. like, but do you know what? Brittany is doing. and You know that she has this many followers that people are tuning in constantly and learning and really sitting at the table and uh, trying to get more information and trying to learn something new. So thank you so much for being brave and going out there and doing that. And we hope to do the same thing here at the Mosaic False Parents Cafe. That's part of the idea is to remove some of the secrecy, some of the veil, and say, listen, this is a normal part of life. In terms of the struggles that lead people to the child welfare system, to the foster care system, these are struggles that lots of people and lots of communities go through. One of the things I often say um, when I'm advocating is I say, listen, it is important to take care of a child. But it, you got to understand that a child is not just a child, but a child is a part of a community, of a family of a of a environment, and that uh, when you talk about their safety, health, and well being, that part of that safety, health, and well being is them being connected to the people that know them best and to the, the community that understands them best. That's part of their healing and part of their self actualization. Uh, and it sounds like you understand that precisely, and you're encouraged that, and, and you're really a part of healing that full circle. Uh, that wraps around that child. So thank you so much for doing that. Yeah. What about culture? What about race and culture? How uh, has been your experience? You know, one of the things I know, just as an African-American male, being in the foster care system, I know that we're disproportionately impacted by the system, that our outcomes are disproportionate and, and on the, going the wrong direction, and that our communities are often targeted uh, uh, and, and removals and, and, you know, we're not often given the benefit of the doubt, like some other communities are, what has been your experience with race and culture and how do you address those types of topics in your own practice with your teens and, uh, in your advocacy work?
0: Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. And it's something that I think the first step for any foster parent, and it, it doesn't matter what, race we are, it doesn't matter what background we have, we all have bias, we do. And part of being a foster parent is learning what your bias is, and learning how to work through it. But I I live in a predominantly African American county. Um, So the majority of the children that come to me are African American, um, just based on where I live. And I will say, it has taken parenting black children. To better understand the historical implications of, to your point, removal and what outcomes look like. And the one thing I can say I've learned, and it and it it took learning, it took letting down my preconceived notions about things, being from the South, you know, being a white woman, and saying, okay, looking at this objectively, I can tell you that the African-American children I have are deeply loved by their family. They are deeply loved by their relatives. They are deeply loved in their community. And so I started looking at the reasons for removal. And there is a stark difference in the reasons for removal for the children that come to me who are black and the children that come to me who are white. Um, the children who come to me who are, are a minority tend to, have issues related to poverty related things. And I think any foster parent I talk to, if you're in this long enough, you start to realize that poverty is often mistaken for neglect. Yeah. That's not saying we're, we're wrongly removed, but what it is saying is, could there be a way that we could have worked around this so that they didn't have to be? I think that It is an endlessly frustrating point for me. And I constantly learning through not only the statistics that come out. It's one thing to see the statistics in the articles, right? It's another thing to have a child come through your door who's 17 years old, like I had a couple of weeks ago, who was 17 years old, never been in foster care in his life and is now in foster care, not playing on his football team not going to his school um, because of things that given a middle-class white family would not be an issue, would not be something, you know, there would be uh, other ways around it. And so I think that that's something that I'm constantly learning. And even things, you know, related to having Black children in my home, I had to relearn hair care. I had to learn about uh, different music. I had to learn about different uh, churches. You know, I I I take children where they're comfortable going to church, and you know, I've had to go to churches that normally I wouldn't go to. Um, but you know, it, through those experiences, I've learned how to recognize my own bias, recognize my own privilege, and look at it objectively and say, okay. We, we know what the stats say, we know what the numbers say, and I see what these kids are coming in with, and I see the love and support that these children have in their extended family, but because of other things, they're not able to go stay with that family member. Um, you know, I think we talk about the, the over-representation of Black men and women in our in our prison system, and to somehow think that that does not directly relate to our foster care issues. You know, We imprison your parents and then take your children and place them with someone else. Or we make a rule that says, if you have a felony, you can't take care of a child that's been placed in foster care. Well, we know that due to racial histories and and discrimination, you have that sticker on way more people of color than you do uh, those who are white. And I've started to put these together the longer I'm in this. The longer I look at this, I say, well, why can't, I mean, he's got an aunt that he talks to, he's got a grandfather, he's got an uncle, he's got all these people who want him, why can't he go stay with them? And it's for reasons that are related to poverty, are related to racial, you know, systemic racism and issues. And I think, you know, I will never be able to fully understand as a white woman, I won't. But I can at least try to to recognize it and to recognize it in myself and and kind of point point out when it's wrong. And I think that as foster parents, we have a responsibility to understand the the disproportionate numbers and we have a responsibility to to learn other other cultures. To learn other cultures, to learn about poverty, to learn about systemic racism, to learn about the overrepresentation in the prison population, because they are all related to the fact that there is a child sitting in your home right now. And I think at the end of the day, that's that's what I learned <laughs> at the core, is that that it, it wasn't just one action, is decades and you know, centuries of, of a variety of different things that have happened that have caused this child to come through my door. And I think the more we recognize that, the more we can see it for what it is. That may have been too much of a tangent. Sorry. (laughs) It is is a point of of passion for me.
1: Brittany, I was not going to stop you. You uh, were hitting several nails right on the head, (laughs) but you said it, not me. (laughs) 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 Thank you so much. That is, uh, you're you're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, the little bit about my story that you do. That I've experienced that firsthand. And, you know, when I was going through the system, obviously there's a lot of confusion, there's a lot of misunderstanding. You're, you're trying to just get your bearings and figure out what's actually going on. But when you get to the other side, after you age out, after you graduate college, after you get a job and start producing and working in a society, and you look back and you say, wait a second, everyone in my neighborhood could have been removed for those reasons. <laughs> like, so, yeah. you know, that was my experience. I looked back and I said, wait a second every one of my friends could have ended up in this. And then the system, I mean, we would have, it would be overblown at that point. So mm-hmm. there has to be a different way to do this. And, you know, you so you hit the nail right on the head. Uh, thank you so much. We're going to uh, segue into our education section. And this is the, you know, it's really important to me doing a, a show like this to be able to leave people with something tangible that they can utilize in their own lives to do better, um, specifically around supporting uh, vulnerable children and families. And so, you know, your expertise is making TikTok sensations. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) So so this is the podcast where everyone learns how to be a TikTok sensation. No, Yeah. No, but I do want to say, you know, if someone, so I consider what you're doing to be very innovative as a foster parent, right? To you're going outside of the comfort zones, you're going outside of the day-to-day norms and you're pulling in technology, uh, you know, albeit because you're listening to your foster children. I mean, that is an amazing, you know, discovery that, I, that we had on this podcast that you, you know, uh, learned this from listening to the kids that come into your home. Um, But you've learned something over the time, right? You got 700,000 followers, close to a million followers at this point. So you've learned something. What if someone were to come to you and say, how can I follow in your footsteps? I I have a passion for children and families, for vulnerable children and families. You know, um, it may not be teens, maybe something else. How do I use TikTok? You know, how do I get started using TikTok to advance my advocacy. What are the steps, you know, what are the, you know, kind of first couple of steps that you would recommend uh, for getting started?
0: Yeah. So I definitely think being on TikTok and watching trends and trying to understand the little, you know, jokes and trends and, you know, things that happen on TikTok so that you can duplicate it for a foster care audience or, or whatever you're passionate about is really key. So being on TikTok, watching TikTok videos, understanding how they work. Um, and then I would say the second big thing is you, you can't chase numbers. Um, I learned that really early on, you know, I, I thought that the videos that I thought, oh, man, this is this is going to go viral, this is going to be a good one, went nowhere. And then other ones that I just made, you know, talking about, I mean, I made a video talking about when I took a a teenage boy shopping and the things I learned about teenage boys and clothing. And that thing has like 3 million views now. And I'm like, what? I know I can't explain why some things are, are, you know, hit home with others. But what I can tell you is if you're passionate about something and if uh, you're, you're wanting to, to share your passion, that's what you focus on. So, and I, and I would say with TikTok, it's really important to have a niche. You know, you're not going to see me in one video dancing, another video giving you, you know, a tour of my foster room. And then in another video, watch me go on vacation. Like I, I keep mine very streamlined. If you watch a video, it's going to be about foster care or, you know, something to do in that realm of teenagers or or whatever. So I think keep, keep your, keep your aim narrow because people want to expect one thing from your videos. And then I would say the final thing would be to play with all the features. TikTok, I think the reason it is so popular is because it is very user-friendly. It's, you play around enough in the videos and you can figure, you can edit a video better than you ever thought possible. I mean, if you, if you gave me editing software and told me to edit a video, I can't guarantee you I would be able to do it. But TikTok has made this dummy proof. You know, editing uh, buttons with different filters and you know ways to incorporate different pictures, and it's so easy to use that I think that's why you know everyone has jumped on it because it makes it so easy and straightforward to edit. So definitely, just get in there, play around with it, and then and then find your niche, find the whatever you want to talk about, whatever you're most passionate about. And stick to that subject. And I think you'll see people, other people that share the same passion will get drawn in.
1: Excellent. Thank you so much. I think I'm going to be a star.
0: (laughs) There you go. It's just that. One, two, three.
1: (laughs) Okay. Um, Second uh, question on the education topic. For our listeners that are considering fostering teens, what should they What is the checklist that they should cover uh, before they get started?
0: Yeah, so I always say the first step for anyone who's interested in foster care is to go to an info session. Every single agency, every single county in the country has some sort of informational session or, you know, learning about it. And in that info session, they're really going to cover everything that you are interested in learning kind of some of the requirements to be a foster parent, and then they're going to give you the reality of a lot of it. And, you know, then you can decide if you want to continue on. And I would say the number two thing is to really think about what works with your lifestyle. You know, people say, Oh, emergency foster care. You just keep kids for a couple nights. That I can do that. And people think it's, you know, yeah, that makes sense, but it's, it's a completely different thing when you, start to feel like a bed and breakfast because you've got different kids coming into your house every couple of days. And you have social workers that are coming into your house every couple of days. And you've got, you know, all these things, you got to learn a new child, you've got to learn how to relate to them, learn what they're interested in. And it's like meeting new people. So extroverted me loves it. I am a big extrovert. I love meeting new people. But I recognize it's not for everybody. So really look and find what what works for you. And there are so many other options with foster care that people don't even know about. Um, You can do respite care where you're taking care of kids who are already in a foster home. They just, you know, something may have happened in the foster family and they need to, you know, find somebody to take care of the child, or you can do kind of a regular Every month they come over to our house for a weekend and we give the foster parents a break and we get to um, enjoy investing in this child and caring for them. There are foster parents for teenage moms and their babies, how to um, not only care for the teenage mom as a child, but also to help empower her to be a great mom to her baby. There are homes needed for kids that are in foster care and are in college and don't have anywhere to go when the dorms are closed. We need homes that are willing to take a kid for Thanksgiving or Christmas or spring break. There's just, there's so many opportunities and and people get sucked into traditional foster care, which is the vast majority of what's needed, but there's also so many other ways that you can get involved. And so I would say kind of think about your lifestyle, think about what works for you and your family, make sure everybody's on board and then, and then explore your options. So Those are the big things. Just go to an info session and really think through what what you want and what you can uh, contribute. And then I would say the third thing and what I think is somewhat the most important is educate yourself. And if you're even remotely interested in foster care, go to your library and start checking out books now. Start watching documentaries on foster care and mental illness and addiction and all these things because knowledge is truly power in this if you can understand trauma if you can understand the the science and the medical needs behind addiction if you can understand what abuse and neglect does to the brain and you know how to build resilience all these things that you get a little bit of in foster care classes but it's nothing compared to self-educating and if you want to do this in any capacity if you want to work with foster kids you have a responsibility to educate yourself on these topics, because you're going to understand that child so much more. You're going to be able to be so much better at being a foster parent or a mentor or whatever you end up being for that child.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. That was very, very educational, uh, very insightful. And you obviously have been digging into this. You're like, you got this stuff (laughs) rolling right off your tongue. So thank you so much. (laughs) I appreciate it. I appreciate your passion and your commitment. Now is the time to reimagine foster care. And so I want to ask you as we close the show if you could wave a wand and change anything within the child welfare space in order to improve life for vulnerable children and their families, uh, or in or their families, what would you change? So this is, you have no limitations this is a positive it's like a three
0: wish genie in the magic lamp thing no (laughs) no you just you you get
1: one you get one one chance and but you can do anything you want you don't have any limitations um and you can wave the wand and you'll change this thing but you only get one one opportunity to do it what would you change and why
0: I mean, my gut tells me to just infuse lots of m- much more money in the system and give more resources. One honest, honest to goodness thing that I don't think is just magic, I think it could be done if, if we really wanted it to be, that could make a huge difference from a foster parent of teens perspective, is to start empowering teens to allow teenagers who are in foster care to be active members of their case beginning ages 11, 12, 13, because what happens is we get to age 16, 17, and these kids have had so much of their power taken away. They don't know what's going on in their case. They don't know what their options are. They don't even go to court when other people meet about them, and they're 16 and 17 years old. And I think that we could drastically change this system if teenagers in particular had a voice in their own future, had a voice in what happens to them. No, we're not gonna be able to fix everything about it, but these kids know a lot more than what we give them credit for. And they have a vision for what their life could look like and what they want it to look like. And I think we do a great disservice. And we, we know that they're, they're not aware of all the resources when they hit seventeen. 17 and a half, they just they find out, oh yeah, you could get college and we could help you with some housing. Um, or you could just go off on your own. Um, or you can do this. that. That's a lot of decisions to happen in six months. But if we start empowering them much sooner, to be able to go to every court hearing, to be able to have a CASA or some other person that hears their voice, to have access to their lawyer, and have conversations with their lawyer, I think that we would have much better outcomes. I mean, the fact that you were a foster youth that went to college is, you you know how rare that is. You know, we have 20% of foster youth go to college, but only 3% actually graduate. And to me, that says we did not equip them to, to do what they need to do. And we know that if you age out of foster care, 25% of the, the 20,000 that age out of foster care every year, 20 of them, 25% of them will end up in, in prison within two years. So we are not equipping them or empowering them to take on their life when they hit 18, 19 years old. So if I could wave a magic wand, I would hand that wand to the hands of the, the foster youth and let them have a voice in what's actually happening to them, let them know their options early empower them to make decisions before they hit the age of 18. And I think that we would see much better outcomes on the other side of it. I think that we would see kids feeling like they had more of more time to make decisions, more time to understand what their options were. And I think that they would make better choices. Um, I think we just don't, don't give them the time and the options. And we kind of just throw adulthood at them. And that's, that's not working.
1: It's not working. Wow. (laughs) Well, (laughs) what an interview. (laughs) So there you have it, our TikTok (laughs) sensation, Brittany Burcham, who is a serious and fierce advocate for Foster the Teens for all the right reasons. She has nearly a million followers on TikTok who are uh, attending the school of Foster the Teens. uh, And I would encourage you If you're listening to this podcast, I would encourage you to go to her TikTok page and follow the work that Brittany is doing. And if you are so inclined, get involved, get active, play your part. All right. Thank you so much, Brittany. This is a wonderful, wonderful discussion and much success to you. If I can be of any assistance, if the show can be of any assistance, please don't hesitate to reach out. I look forward to connecting with you again in the future. I'm sure our paths will cross again. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for having me.